I think it's time for a new intro. I'm going to have to work on that. Thank you all so much. You're watching uh, Speak of the Devil. My name is Reverend Campbell, and I've got a hell of a show for you today. Today, we're going to be joined by Tom Sonnen. How are you, man? I'm fine. Thank you. I was actually going to... How are you doing? Oh, I'm great. Thank you so much. Uh, I was going to reach out and uh, acknowledge the audience, but I thought, you've just been sitting so quiet for so long, I might as well bring you in before I do that. <laughs> He's still there. <laughs> yeah, yeah. He must be. He's still alive. Um, well, first, let me thank everyone who's joining uh, in live. And if you come into this after the fact, uh, just know that if you're live, you can ask questions, you can interact with us and each other and uh, have a good old time. So thank you, Ara, for joining us, of course. These are brought to you. All of these episodes are brought to you by Ara and DA. Thank you guys so much. Valeria, thank you for joining us live. Joel, Lauren, how are you, my dear? Dalton, Marcelo, Ricky. Uh, it's great to see you all. And of course, anyone coming in after the fact, if I see you, I'll call you out. But uh, we're here not to talk about you. We're here to talk about Tom. <laughs> so, my friend, uh, we're going to cover a lot of ground here. Because there right. is a lot of ground to cover. Um, we've got uh, Satanism. It's called Speak of the Devil for a reason. Uh, we've got music. We've got festivals. But we just started talking before the show um, about a roast that you and I participated in for a Den or Den. <laughs> and so I kind of want to touch on that first if we can. All right. Let's go. <laughs> <laughs> so what was it like for you um, contributing to a roast? Because you were mentioning just off of camera that um, though – Insult comedy is a pretty uh, normal thing nowadays in uh, American popular culture. It's not very common from where you come from, right? So That's true. Uh, where do you come from? And uh, was it difficult for you uh, to put together a roast set? All right. So uh, I'm from Belgium. Um, we have a long line of comedians that do mostly, well, bullshit comedy. <laughs> for uh, for simple-minded people, let's say. Um, so a roast for me was uh, a new thing. Mm. I knew that it existed. I've seen some on a, what is it, a comedy channel or uh, whatever. Yeah. And so it was very hard for me because in real life, I can be a jerk to my best friends and insult you with the most terrible things to say. But this was... Well, it was pre-recorded and it was so hard and I had some stuff written down and then I was like, oh no, this is way too harsh. <laughs> and then I saw the rest of those guys <laughs> and I was like, God damn it. <laughs> I am such a pussy. <laughs> I, yeah, no, and it, to be fair, because it, it was pre-recorded, you didn't know the extent that some of the others were going to go to and they didn't know no. how far you were going to go. And so... It is always this weird sort of back and forth balance of, you know, do I want to come off as the only really harsh dick? <laughs> you know, it, and uh, I think I think Patrick took that one. <laughs> he oh, was yeah, he surely did. The harshest of everyone in the best of yeah. ways. Um, I love doing those roasts. I thought that was such a fun roast to do. And um, I, I was really happy that you were able to contribute. And your, your camera setup, your lighting, everything was really nice. Like, I, I really dug that a lot. Um, not everyone had that, you know, some, most of the other people were just sort of cell phones and stuff. And so trying to keep a balance of, of image quality and color and everything was, was a pain in production, but. It I have a wife who is a photographer, so I need to use the good material. That's so awesome. That's great. Um, okay. So let's, uh, we're probably not going to be doing a roast today. <laughs> I hope so, not. Yeah. Surprise. <laughs> oh, shit. <laughs> 
But uh, we are going to talk about uh, you, your life, uh, where you are in your life, where you want to go. Um, but again, it's called Speak of the Devil, so let's lead with a little bit of devil. Uh, when did would you first discover Satanism? Well, I first discovered Satanism through music, like I think a lot of people. Uh, I was a 16-year-old black metal kid, and um, yeah. there were a lot of bands yelling Satan. <laughs> And uh, it, I got intrigued, and um, I got myself a copy of the Satanic Bible when I was, I think, 19 years old, mm -hmm. expecting a really evil book. <laughs> and boy, what a disappointment that was. <laughs> well, it's, it sort of teases you, right? Because you lead yeah. in with the Book of Satan, and it's just like vicious, hard-hitting, and then you're like, but there's no, like... There's no Satan? <laughs> no, where are the demons? Where's the gore? <laughs> so I put it aside, to be honest, for a couple of years. And um, I went um, to get my degree as a social worker. Mm -hmm. And for some reason, in that period of time, because um, a lot of, um, as a social worker, you get a lot of causes about, well, humanity and stuff like that. And uh, um, I picked up the book again and mm -hmm. started reading again. And then I understood, and it's uh, like, yes, this is what I've been always looking for, and uh, here we are. Yeah. I always find it interesting, because different people come into Satanism in, in many different ways, and at different phases in their life. Mm -hmm. And though every once in a while you'll run into someone who was a kid when they read it, and they immediately felt like they connected with it, I'm not sure how much I believe of that, Um but it, I do genuinely feel like, as an individual, you have to be in a certain place in order to not only, of course, fully understand it, but to be able to say, "I'm, I'm going to take this mantle on. I'm taking this name as part of yeah. myself." You know. Indeed. And uh, for me, it was like when I read it the second time, after like when I was 19 years old, it was like, "Whoa!" Hmm. I have to reread it and reread it and reread it and reread it, and it just, yeah, this is me yeah. this is how i've been approaching the world how i've been approaching even my job as a social worker which some people may find really weird <laughs> when you say to a kid that has been bullied like well maybe you should hit that kid in the in the face <laughs> <laughs> wait is that your technique <laughs> <laughs> well i did it <laughs> i once told a kid like he was been picked on for years and he's like dude you know what just hit him back <laughs> like what's the, the worst that's gonna happen stop. the worst thing that's gonna happen is you're gonna get expelled from school for a couple of days mm -hmm. and he just hit the kid straight in the face and, well he got expelled for a couple of days but <laughs> the bullying stopped I mean hell yeah that <laughs> had to be that had to be such a, a satisfying couple of days off of school Oh yeah! <laughs> Not only did you get a, a little break from school, but you also finally ended years of torment. That's true. <laughs> he was a, a happy kid, and he walked to school when he could go back with his head up high. And I was like, "I'm not taking any more bullshit from you guys." <laughs> That's awesome. <laughs> it was frowned upon by about my coworkers that I told him to do this, but <laughs> <laughs> they're like, uh, "You did go to school, right? You're not supposed to encourage <laughs> violence." Yeah, what, well, <laughs> what is the, 
because I don't know. I genuinely have no idea. But what is the the consent, the modern consensus when when what are you supposed to say as a social worker when someone comes in and says that they're bullied? You talk a bunch of bullshit and try to make them feel better. And <laughs> I, I left. Uh, I, I was a social worker for ten years. Mm. Um, I left the social worker seek um, the job when I, I think seven years ago now, wow. because I was just so sick of it. Mm. Um, it's not about empowering kids anymore. It's about uh, empowering, um, well, the places that they stay. It's about money. It's about... Um, really? That's that's my opinion. Yeah, I, yeah. I mean, that's my opinion. Um, I have seen kids that I worked with end up in jail the moment I left. I was. I had three kids that I was working closely with. The moment I left, they got a, a new guy who had a different approach, mm. and they ended up in jail. I mean, apparently my approach worked. <laughs> <laughs> Just cool. telling them the truth yeah. and not not covering up and saying like, "Take it easy, do this, do that." That was my dog leaving. No, it's okay. <laughs> um, so yeah. I think you need to tell people the truth, mm -hmm. even as a social worker, like even working with kids. The world is not going to be a happy place for you if you keep fucking up. Yeah. So, do you think? Your... Do you think kids nowadays? And, and I, let me try to frame this because uh, my generation, we didn't have any internet, we didn't have social media, we didn't have this. Same here. Yeah. So we didn't have that constant connection digital sort of fake connection with people we actually had to go out and interact with them and so you did run across physical bullying a lot more than you do nowadays yeah. where i think it's mostly online especially with the way that that our cultures are developing um do you think that kids are more capable of handling bullying nowadays or do you think that it was maybe easier for them to deal with it back in the day when they didn't have this online social component I think back in the day it was, <clears throat> excuse me, it was a lot easier. Mm. If you had a bully, it was about or words or physical strength. You got beat up, you got called names. Nowadays, people are gaining up on you online. There's mm. nothing you can do. Back in our days, um, I don't know how old you are, Adam. Um, I'm 38 myself. So there's we we grew up in the same area. I mean uh, era. Um, if you were a bully, you would hit on people, you would, you would punch kids, you would, you'd beat them up. And if the kid grew stronger, he would beat you up in, uh, when, he, when his time was right. Yeah. Nowadays, it's all online bullying and putting pictures of you on, uh, on the internet or even videos. And there's nothing you can do against that. So I have yeah. a bad connection again. Ah, oh, fuck. Oh, it's okay. I can still hear you and everything. I'll let you know right. if, if it if it goes down or something. Um, yeah, I I think uh, and I agree. I was having a conversation with someone about. Uh, I don't want to turn this into a social commentary, but uh, I was having a conversation with someone about my daughter, and they were like, "Yeah, nowadays girls have it worse than ever because yeah. it was one thing that girls were always historically mean to each other in grade school, 
But now with the internet, it's gotten 10 times worse where it's just this constant yeah. and not only expectations back in the day, it was just a magazine cover that you had to try to live up to this false idea yeah. of body type. Now you have tons of social media stars that you have to try to emulate. You have to be a, an online star yourself. You have to uh, live up and get X amount of likes and shares and, and interactions in order to feel of value. And that is so devaluing as a, uh, as a, as a premise for an individual to grow. It's crazy. Um, I see uh, daughters of my, of my friends who are like, let's say eight years old, trying to be like the influencers. Yeah. Which are, yeah I mean, like, it's total bullshit. I, I think back in our days, it was just easy. You were liked or you were not liked. If you were not liked, you just went home, yeah. locked yourself in your room, cry a little and <laughs> Try to play with those little friends you have. Yeah. Yeah. And, oh, I was going to say, and when, oh, it's fine. When you do lock yourself in your room, and I'm, this is my transition here, you were able to like engage with albums and uh, records and cases and covers yeah. and lyrics, and you could actually like dive into this stuff that I don't, I'm not 100% sure kids do nowadays. At least mine don't. Um, where you get it, like you just. Are ringtones. What's that? Music or ringtones? Yeah, for the, for the self. <laughs> That's so sad. <laughs> That's so sad. Um, okay, so let's let's uh, transition. Well, actually, before that, you are a member of the Church of Satan. I do yeah, want to find out because I'm always interested in learning why people who self-identify as Satanists why they join the Church of Satan. What are their expectations out of doing so? Um, so, why did you join the the organization? Um, I joined the organization out of respect for its founders mm. and for the people that are running it now, because if I'm going to identify myself as a Satanist, I thought it would, was the right thing to do, mm. to join. And you can say, people say you don't have to be a member to be a Satanist, and I agree with that, but for my part, that's why I joined, out of respect for the organization, for its founders, and that's this is how I I, I defend. Uh, I de oh my God, English is sometimes really hard. <laughs> uh, how I uh, how I see myself, like I am a Satanist. I am a member, mm. and that's basically it. Yeah. No, I appreciate and, it. So Darren Day said he pushed me a little to join. <laughs> no, what's that? Darren did. <laughs> That's just, that's not true. <laughs> He's like but, uh, twisting your arm. You want me to play? You better sign yeah, this fucking want, petition, right? <laughs> you want to be my friend, buddy? You just, <laughs> you got to pay for it. <laughs> um, <laughs> let, let's get into some music because you did, you actually had brought Darren over to Belgium, right? Yeah, that's true. So uh, I want to get into the festival side in just a second, um, just using that as a sort of anchor point. But um, let's talk, where does your passion for music come from? My passion for music comes from when I was a little kid and my nephew, the son of my godmother, he was a yeah. DJ. Mm -hmm. And I was staying over at her place all the time. And he was always playing music. And uh, that got me into like just listening to music. And then at my parents' house when I was a kid, we didn't have a TV until I was, I think, 12. Oh, wow. So the radio was always on. And... So there's always music go around, and that's where it come from. Uh, that's where it came from. It was always music in my life, and as a young kid, I got into 
to rock music really early and it developed from there like what were some of the bands the you really liked with the first thing i ever bought as a kid was an aerosmith tape hell yeah, <laughs> yeah. that's awesome the the one with the cow on with, with the uh... <laughs> that was in the 90s wasn't it when it was released the i cow? think i was i think i was 12 or something i okay. don't know yeah uh but from that moment on or maybe 91 i, I don't really yeah, know i'm trying to remember it, it, it it's not really that important but i vividly remember that album cover because <laughs> i like i had it myself um but from that moment on it just went to to metal music punk mm -hmm. music and i started looking for more faster and brutal and yeah so what kind of music did you grow up with uh as a kid you mean i like yeah. or as a teenager as a kid as a kid just a radio so like what uh, kind of music was on the radio at that time was it was it like soft rock was it classical was it jazz like oh no my parents just put on a radio station and it was like belgian dutch almost like schlager music hmm. it was terrible <laughs> But there was always music around, and that's probably why I started looking for other music. Yeah. Because I didn't like what what, what I was hearing on the radio, mm -hmm. and uh, I uh, the moment that uh, a record store opened up in the little town that I lived in, that was my place to go. Oh yeah. So, was that like the cool kid hangout? Uh, actually, no, because. Um, the store was more based on uh, rock music, metal, and the 90s in Europe, and especially Belgium, were based around dance music. Oh, really? Shitty, shitty dance music, like Euro, Euro beat. It was... <laughs> we are... Belgium is one of the, the founding nations of house music. I mean, wow. <laughs> it was terrible to be... <laughs> to go out to a party and... Uh, <laughs> Damn. It was all. So did you feel like so, th this this urge to share uh, rock and metal with your friends and other kids? Or, or is this something you just sort of kept to yourself about? I I dressed like uh, like an, uh, the typical metal kid. Mm -hmm. But I did not have many friends that were into metal. Especially not in high school. It was all about commercial music. and uh, So I kept to myself pretty much. I went to concerts. Um... My mom even drove me to black metal concerts when I was 16 years old. Nice. <laughs> um, and she would pick me up after, and uh, I'm thankful for that. <laughs> that's awesome. It reminds me of yeah, that that's... scene in uh, Almost Famous when the mom drops him off and she just screams out the window, Don't do drugs! <laughs> <laughs> well, she never told me not to do drugs <laughs> because she, <laughs> she knew I... I didn't do drugs, yeah. uh, and the legal drinking age in Belgium is 16, so she knew I was drinking beer, but that was not a problem. Yeah. Um, but it was just cool to have my parents be okay with it. Mm -hmm. And uh, I think for them it was like, well, as long as he's going to those concerts, he's not hanging down on the street somewhere being a dick to other people. So That's actually yeah. a nice way to look at it. That's what I thought when I was 16. Yeah, I mean... Growing up in our culture, it's very much you get into that music because uh, it's almost forbidden. It's like 
it's like the bad kid music. And so that's a driver for a lot of people to get exposed to it. And even if they don't like it to act like they like it so that they can actually just be that, you know, that bad kid. Uh, yeah. I don't know. It's, it's, it's really shallow and stupid, but it, it is something that happens. <laughs> time to time. My parents hated the music, but they were like, if he wants to listen to this and he wants to spend his money on that, the money is he working that he's working for. Well, let him. Mm-hmm. So, uh, and that's actually the same thing when they found out I, I told them I, I was a Satanist. They were like, well, if, if you want to do that, if that's who you want to be, go ahead. Yeah. And my parents are typical, uh, how do you say it, uh, working class people. Mm-hmm. Uh, they get married in front of a priest and stuff like that. They don't care about religion, but you're like, you know what, if this is what you want to do, do it. As long as you're good. So as long as you're good to us. Yeah. I, I, I know nothing about um, your country or, or the sort of social norms that are there. So is is Satanism seen as, as something that's like anti-Christianity or negative over there as far as the culture is oh, yeah, concerned? Yeah, 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 yeah. Uh, we don't have like, uh, we don't have many people going to church anymore, but back in the 90s, my mom and dad got looked... The people looked weird at them because mm-hmm. I was their son. I had the, the long hair up to my butt, wearing leather <laughs> trench coats and stuff like that. I was the weird kid in town, but they were like, if this is what you want to do, whatever. But for now, in let's say today, churches are empty. Mm-hmm. I mean, especially old, old folks still go to church, but... I had my, uh, I buried my, uh, my grandmother uh, two days ago and the church was full wow. with all the people. Yeah. So there's, I mean, religion is basically, let's say dead. Yeah. Well, Christianity mm-hmm. is dead in Belgium for what I, what I can see. So in your personal experience, what's, what's a rising, um, is there, is, is it, let me try to frame this. Are kids or, or young adults um, more interested in atheism or are they more interested in revival of older religions rather than Christianity, like pagan religions? Let's say the people that I work with, I work in retail, mm-hmm. and uh, let's say the people that I work with, they actually do not care about religion. Okay. It's, uh, religion is a thing they say like, oh, well... I don't believe in God, but there must be something. But it's not something that they're that they're interested in. They're, it's not something that rules their life. Mm-hmm. I, what rules people's lives in Europe, I think, is making money and being able to pay your bills right. because everything is getting fucking expensive over here. So, damn. Um, I always find it interesting because you you were raised in a time where the dominant culture looked down on you for being a Satanist. And now you're in a completely different culture. You're still a Satanist. Do the other atheist kids or the kids that just don't believe in religion at all, do they look down on you for believing no, in Satanism? No, not Satan? at all. We, I had some people uh, trying to make a joke out of it yeah. until I explained what it was. They were like, oh, you do not believe in the devil. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like, duh. <laughs> uh, and when I explained it, then they were like, 
oh, it's just, so it's like atheism, but a bit different. Like, well, to put it simple, yeah. Yeah. With style. And with style, yeah. It's atheism <laughs> with style. <laughs> I like that. Um, so, yeah, people do not mind about it, do not, do not seem to care about it that much. Um, I wear my seagull of the Baphomet when I go to work. Hmm. Well, not on my uh, working clothes, but it's on my jacket when I come into work. And some of my coworkers know that I'm a member, but there's never been like, ooh, we have to stay away from him. Right. So it's just they don't really care. People are just doing what they're doing. I prefer that over um, active opposition <laughs> any day. <laughs> Trying to burn your house down or not caring. I choose not caring. <laughs> um, that's I great. Uh, two days ago, no, uh, no, two days ago, I buried my grandmother. I was in Amsterdam on Wednesday and Thursday, and we went to a museum. And there was this guy, a security guy, and he, I had the, the Baphomet on my uh, my jacket, hmm. and he was like, "Is that the Ministry logo?" I'm like, "No, the Church of Satan." It's a... And he was like, "Okay, cool." And I don't know if my wife noticed it. She's sitting in the living room with me, but right. every other guy in working at museum came into a room where we were standing to look at me. <laughs> Like, that's the Satanist. <laughs> He's right there. <laughs> <laughs> that's funny. I always got, when I was in Georgia, um, people, like I have tattoos all over me of, of different satanic iconography. And I would always get like, yeah, Venom, right on. Or Fox Slayer, yeah. You know, stuff like that, where it's always <laughs> a band reference and it's never a religious reference, which I always thought sure. was interesting because I very much took it for the religious side of things. Um, but on that musical note, uh, you have experimented with music, right? Oh, yes, I have. <laughs> I would not call it music, maybe. Um, <laughs> I Back in those days, I loved like industrial music. I still love industrial music. Mm -hmm. But I there was this little program called Fruity Loops, and you could make music with it. And I tried my best to uh, make some noise, <laughs> yeah. Uh, which I had a I had a great time doing it. Uh, I locked myself in my room for hours and hours and hours, mm -hmm. and sampling CDs with a, ho holding up a microphone to my computer to the to the computer speakers, yeah. just to sample uh, sounds and stuff like that. And yeah. And then someone got the great idea to release it on his own label in France. Yeah. <laughs> I still don't know why he did it. <laughs> You're not getting checks in the mail from that? No, I never did. It's <laughs> messed up. Um, okay, so you did send me two tracks. Um, we don't have a ton of time to play uh, the songs, but I do have a sample of one of them. Um, if you're okay, can we go ahead and play this? Of course. All right. So this is uh, Tom's uh, own composition, and it is called uh, Look at the Blood. And these are just photos of him and his wife and uh, different images that he sent over. That was our wedding anniversary party, by the way. Nice. That was your wedding anniversary? Yeah. Holy shit.
right, so I think this is safely referred to as baby making music. <laughs> like, layered screams and digital computer sounds. And uh, what what is your intention when you're um, sort of layering these different uh, tracks together and, and forming it into a cohesive, you know, song? This was uh, not a happy place in life for me when I made it. I think these are made in, I think, 2005 or 2006. Mm -hmm. um, I was just not a happy person back then. And I wanted to, I locked myself in my room and made, to my uh, capabilities, the most depressing or <laughs> darkest music I could make. It could have just been silence. That would, yeah. <laughs> that would um, and I never considered myself as someone that could make good music. So that's why I quit with it and um, started promoting music and mm. promoting people that actually could make good music. So yeah. <laughs> that was fun back then. I mean, it sounds when I listen to it back. Uh, when I listen to it again, uh, I listen to it when I, the day that I send you those tracks. I, I, I found a, a folder on my on my laptop with about I think fifty songs, and I listened to them all. And it wasn't shame that I was feeling, but it was not a good feeling. <laughs> <laughs> it wasn't shame. <laughs> it wasn't really shame, but yeah, it sure funny. was not pride. <laughs> yeah. Um, so people are telling me that the audio actually didn't go through. The audio was very subtle. Um, I mean, it was just very inherently uh, sort of quiet. And so uh, unfortunately, it doesn't seem like it came through the stream. Um, but I don't know. Would you be comfortable sharing a link uh, after the show in the show notes or something? With some I, I will upload some of them to YouTube or something. And then, okay. uh, then we'll... Yeah. You can link them, yeah. That'd be awesome. Um, just so that people can hear what we're talking about. Um, and actually <laughs> listening to it in long form, getting the entire clip, I think is better anyway. Then you get a better sense of, of progression and intention with the individual tracks uh, that you were putting out there. Um, so you had talked uh, about how you weren't very happy with this. Uh, and so you maybe wanted to try promoting other or, or going to see other artists. What made you want to start a, your own uh, festival? Well, the festival we started because, well, actually, I the festival we started this because I was I always wanted to book bands mm -hmm. that I wanted to see, and I started this doing when I was nineteen years old. Um, I got the opportunity um, at the local youth center, and the first show I ever put on was a black metal show. Nice. And uh, I was 19, I had no experience whatsoever. I just contacted bands by letter. Mm -hmm. There was no email thing. <laughs> and um, they wrote me back like, ah, sure, we can play. And it was a big success and I kept doing it. I did metal shows, we did gothic parties. Uh, we got into the rave scene at some point and um, we did uh, parties in, uh, in squats mm -hmm. with a, a bunch of drugged out punks and uh, <laughs> Did you say rave scene? Yeah, rave. Okay. Yeah, like the rave scene. Yeah, we had guys from uh, from England, Bristol coming over. Um, the guys that actually like dubs, uh, dubstep that's oh very popular or was pop. But no, we had like the pre-dubstep guys. Yeah. 
when there was still underground and uh, <laughs> we had those playing uh, in uh, at the squats and uh, that was so much fun. Nice. And for some reason, because of my brother-in-law, he played in a in a rockabilly band, mm-hmm. and he showed me some music. I was like, damn, this is pure music. This is like no no bullshit, just guys playing their instruments. And I got into into rockabilly, into roots music, and for some reason, there was like, you know what? We're going to so many festivals. We can do this better. Mm-hmm. And we got some friends together, and we started uh, our own festival, which was called back then um, Pirate Farm Fest, because it was on a farm. <laughs> <laughs> and for some reason, we considered ourselves to be pirates, yeah. like the outlaws. And uh, mm-hmm. there's enough cowboys around, so we'll be the pirates. <laughs> <laughs> I dig that. And we, yeah. So, uh, yeah, we started putting up a festival and we invited bands because I've been traveling uh, to, the, to America with my wife for the last... I think seven years oh, wow. for, a, for a music festival. Yeah, for a music festival, and we do it annually. So we met up with a lot of bands, and we became friends. Wait, what and festival? While they were touring, uh, the Muddy Roots Festival in, uh, oh, in nice. Cookville, Tennessee. Oh yeah. And um, so we became friends with those bands, and uh, when they were touring Europe, just contact them. Hey guys, you want to come play at our festival? It's mm-hmm. a small little thing. We only sell five hundred tickets, and that's it. It's an intimate thing, um, back to basics, one stage the first year, second year was also once, the third year we did was we put up a little side stage and it's just all about music. Hell yeah. No, no bullshit, no, not to like come and feel this festival. No, it's like you're here for one thing, listening to, uh, experiencing these bands. Mm-hmm buying their music of the merch table and bounding together. This is what a music festival for me should be about. Mm-hmm. One thing, music and getting to know people. There's no, there is a backstage area, but the bands don't stay in the backstage. They just walk around. And I have a huge disgust from music, from big music festivals because it's all about money. Mm-hmm. And of course, making money is fun. We don't make money of this festival because it's so small. Mm-hmm. But I think it's a passion. Yeah. Something I, I devote my life to, to promoting good music. Nice. Some, some people call me crazy. My coworkers think I make shit ton of money with a festival that I put on. <laughs> well, actually, I lose money every yeah, year. Yeah. <laughs> But uh, no, the festival doesn't lose money, but I lose money because I have to drive up there and down and down. And down. So yeah. you know what I mean. Yeah. Um, so you said you've done it three years. Have you done it longer than that? Well, the, the festival that we're doing now mm-hmm. um, in 2019 is going to be the fourth. Oh, nice. Okay. But as I, as I said before, I've been doing putting up shows since, 2000, uh, since uh, 1999. Nice. Oh, uh, 1998, actually. That was the first we did, wow. and I've been doing it all those uh, all those years. And the Roots Festival that we started was actually started uh, seven years. Well, the, the festival itself is has only had three editions, 
But with Old Style Music Nights, the company that we run, mm -hmm. we started seven years ago with bringing American Roots bands while they're touring, booking their shows, and putting them up and have a place to play. Have a place to play. So I wanted to so, ask uh, you about that next. Um, and it, it makes sense to me that there's like a logical progression from you love music, so you want to put together a festival to celebrate the music. I think it's a next level in order to like create a business out of it, right? Because old style music nights, you just said you, you're actually putting people up, you're paying to have them come over and everything. How are you, how are you making, and I don't want to get into numbers or anything like that, but how are you making money on the back end to continue doing that? Is it just directly from sales and, and venues or what? Indeed. Um, we started out putting up those shows mm -hmm. with zero money, putting our own money into it. And in the beginning, making money. Then the interest in the in the underground roots music got away a little, so we would start losing money. Mm -hmm. And that was when we were like, mm, <laughs> we cannot keep doing this because, well, I don't have an unlimited bank account. Right. So <laughs> I don't think most people have. No. So we're like, you know what, let's do the festival and let's see what comes out of that. Mm -hmm. And all the years we have done it, we always made a, a little profit so we can continue to the next year. We're not paying anyone right. that's working. We pay the bands, mm -hmm. but we're not paying anyone that's working on a festival. It's all volunteers. I take two weeks off every year for uh, the week before the festival and the week after the festival to build it up, to break it all down, to make sure everything is, uh, is cleaned up. So basically, I'm still losing money on it. Mm -hmm. But the plan in the long run is to eventually make it a profit, a profitable business. Yeah. Well, that's always the challenge, I think, right? Because I don't know so much in recent years, but it's certainly we can we can look at any past decade and say that was the type of music for that decade. Nowadays, it's a little more challenging, I think. But, you know, from 50s, 60s, 70s, 80s, and 90s, it was very easy to trace a progression in musical taste. And when your entire business model is to promote a single, you know, you're spanning a few genres, I'm sure, but altogether, it's probably, you know, your arms around one central core yeah. of type of music. How do you maintain interest? in That's, it, the, the culture. It's, get, it's getting more and more difficult because uh, for next year, because we've been, our focus was on uh, underground roots music and uh, with like the biggest bands, say the Gotham Gallows that we have had over. Um, and for next year, we're indeed expanding our, uh, our, musical, uh, our musical genres. We need to put up a uh, a couple of punk bands, mm -hmm. uh, some heavier uh, metal bands, maybe, to keep people coming over. Because, mm -hmm. as you said, it is indeed, if you focus on a single genre, the hype doesn't stay. Yeah. And I know people are coming over because we have we have visitors from all over Europe, mm -hmm. even if you only sell. A maximum of 500 tickets. We have people coming from Denmark. We have people coming from uh, from England. We even have people coming over from the states to the festival. Hell yeah! Because 
they like what we do. Mm-hmm. And I, uh, I really appreciate that. But if we want to keep existing, you need to keep, you need to get the local people in as well. Mm-hmm. And you need to, well, expand your musical, um, your musical genres and, mm-hmm. It's, yeah. It was it was a difficult decision for me to make because I wanted to keep it pure, but well, money needs to come in yeah. to do a festival. Yeah. So, are there a lot of other festivals that you're competing with as well? Well, there is one. I'm not gonna name it because I'll get back. Uh, people are gonna if they see this. Right. No, it's fine. No. But uh, I support. I try to support every other alternative music festival um, in Belgium, even in Europe. We travel around, we travel to the States for festivals. And I think that uh, that's the way it's supposed to go. Support each other, promote each other, mm-hmm. because uh, we're all doing the same thing, trying to keep good alternative music, underground music alive. Mm-hmm. And if you're gonna talk bad, uh, talk bad about each other, it's just, it's bad promo. And yeah. It's like with the website we do, um, we review albums. Mm-hmm. Uh, bands send us CDs or uh, records. And I, I tell them straight ahead, if I do not like your album, I will not write a review. Mm-hmm. Because there is no reason to write a bad review. These people put their hearts and soul in their music. And if it's a bad record, if I don't like it, why would I write about it? I mean, that's interesting. Yeah, there is no reason to put. Well, I, that's my opinion. Mm-hmm. There's no reason to put out a bad review for a band because other people may like it. Mm-hmm. So let them write a review. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Um, that it's interesting because do you, is there? There seems to be a local resurgence uh, in my area in appreciation for records. Um, and when you're speaking about the music scene as you know this sort of uh, entity as this industry it do you think that there's waning or rising numbers in interest of live shows like are people more excited to do live shows now than they did 10 years ago or are they less excited do you think i think that the people that are going to shows are going to more and more shows mm. and I see always the same people at the show. Excuse yeah. me. Um, and from time to time, you see new people coming in. Uh, let's say teenagers coming in. And my thing is always like, this is cool. <laughs> you're maybe 17 years old and you're coming to an underground show. Dude, I'm going to buy you a beer. <laughs> nice. So you feel so you feel welcome at this show. Yeah. Because it's important to have new people coming in we we have we have, all our friends are they're having kids and they don't go out much anymore mm-hmm. we made the decision to not have kids so i can do whatever the fuck i want <laughs> <laughs> uh, but i think uh, to go back to your original question yeah. like, there is an increase on people going to shows that's what i see here nice um I went to a show last weekend of a, a band doing a triad, a triad show, and 
they are musicians that have been in the in the punk rock scene for years and years, and they're now trying something different. Mm-hmm. And every one of their friends was there to see a band that they've never heard music from, and in a totally different genre. They went from punk rock to this uh, sludgy doom metal thing. Yeah, yeah. Everyone was there to support them, and for me, that's a beautiful thing mm-hmm. to see people supporting their friends. And there were people there that never went to a show. They were like, well, apparently this is my uh, my uncle playing on stage. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, like, yeah, come on, kid. <laughs> 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 Try to enjoy this. Yeah. Your uncle's going to be really, really crazy tonight on the on stage. But uh, he'll be the same person when he comes up. So. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> well, this is what I love so much about music is that regardless of the genre, you can always trace it back to different genres or progressively move it forward to new uh, uh, emerging genres. And so even if you're not into the scene, you can see and appreciate where it's come from or where it's going all the same. So this is something that it, it took me a long time to be able to appreciate because I was very much very narrow in my appreciation for music. Is that something that you experienced as uh, a young man as well? Or were you always open to a different genre? Um, I think before somewhere in my mid-twenties, I was like this. Like, mm-hmm. I'm into a genre. I'm diving all in. And for some reason, I was like, there is so much good music out there. And I like it all. Mm-hmm. There is no reason for me to not listen to this record or to support that band. And if you walk into my house, I have a, a pretty big, uh, big record collection. And it's just everything. It goes from uh, from metal to jazz to folk music to oh, yeah. everything I like. And uh, I'll just take out a record, put it on the record player. Let's say I put on a Dark Ambient record. And when that one's done, I put on... A punk record and there is so much talent in underground scenes or even in pop music why not listen to everything you like yeah um oh damn i, I was gonna i totally just fucking went blank dude Fucking, I'm getting old. My mind is just running away with itself. Um, do you think While here? You get together, I'm kind of You pour yourself a drink. I'm going to pose this question to you. Um, do you think that streaming music services are a detriment to a continuing live music uh, scene or or? album collection scene or do you think that it actually helps because it exposes people to new artists i think for um let's say pop music Mm -hmm. uh record sales are going down i think for underground music streaming is amazing uh i think i read a study was it about metal music a couple months ago that metal is one of the best selling genres in the world Hell because yeah. people because people buy records they want to own that cd or that album that special edition from something mm-hmm. 
a random 16 year old girl is not gonna care if Justin Timberlake <laughs> releases a double vinyl on a right. uh, 180 grams uh, special audio <laughs> I mean <laughs> but fans who are into music hmm. and I mean like really are fans of the band or uh, they will buy that stuff mm. and when uh, I'm always excited when uh, when a band brings out their album on vinyl I am a vinyl snob I have no shame in saying that <laughs> I do not own a CD player in my house I have one in my car mm. but that's it I only play vinyl or I'll stream on uh, on Bluetooth but whatever and I think there's so many more people out there like me. Mm. That's also why I appreciate so much with the, the Wedding Funeral, the new right. project from Derek Edel, that they only release it on vinyl and they refuse to put it out on Spotify and stuff like that. Like, this is for the in crowd maybe, but I can respect that so much. The music is not, not many people are gonna hear it, but the people that are gonna hear it, they want to have that album. Yeah. So, yeah. I want to I want to speak to that really quick because as a as a designer I I I know that color and shape and uh image dominance and um typography it all says something about the finished piece. They were all chosen specifically in order to convey a specific message. That that's what it means. And so it makes perfect sense to me and I can understand how it's illogical to others, but it makes perfect sense to me why an artist that wants to portray themselves in a specific way would want to limit their exposure in only certain formats because it then reinforces how people experience them. Um, it's just, it's branding 101. I think it's a brilliant way to do it. And it does in fact mean you're going to get a, a smaller exposure but it, it also means that you're probably going to have a stronger cult following in the long run. Indeed. So I, I find that technique really interesting. What bothers me is when you have artists uh, who just sort of throw everything out there. There's no thought into how it's received or perceived. They just want it out there. And yeah. who are you serving? You're definitely not serving yourself in that case. It's like uh, I told you before. It's like music has become a ringtone for a lot of people. <laughs> Yeah. And uh, if you really, let's say back in the days, mm -hmm. I was a black metal kid. And if I could get my hands on that one record from this really obscure Norwegian black metal band <laughs> that was limited to 666 copies, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> that was like, it was Christmas morning, man. When I found that thing, I was like, yes, <laughs> I have this. And... I think that is almost the essential of like being a music freak. Like you're searching for things and mm -hmm. with the the wedding funeral, people who hear this and they're like, ah shit, I never got the opportunity to buy this record. Mm -hmm. They're going to be bummed out for the rest of their <laughs> lives, let's say. <laughs> right, <laughs> because right. it's, it's obscurity. Uh, it creates like a cult. Mm -hmm. like, oh, I need this and I can never find it. And yeah. That I think is very, very, that's a very cool way to market your product because also you're, you are in a genre 
with the wedding funeral that is it's never going to get big right but the people that love it they want that record so i totally understand their way of doing it yeah no i dig it man and i really appreciate what you do in promoting others music putting together festivals getting exposure out there for uh maybe some lesser known bands uh musical acts but also just you know keeping genres alive that may go the way of the ringtone you know (laughs) otherwise (laughs) which is a depressing thought that i didn't have until you had just mentioned it now i'm just like fuck everything's goddamn ringtone now (laughs) shit um all right well thank you tom so much this has been such a blast uh can you tell people where they can find you online uh so we have a website that's called old style music nights uh, it's oldstylemusicnights.com mm-hmm. uh, where we do reviews and uh, we post. Uh, we have a, um, a segment that's called the Beagle Sessions where we invite bands that are on tour to play in our living room for like five or six people with we have two beagles and they run around and uh, cause a mock. <laughs> and uh, <laughs> while the bands are playing, so it's called the Beagle Sessions. Yeah. Uh, we film those and we put it online just to promote the bands. Mm-hmm. And then, uh, so oldstylemusicnights.com, that's where we you find most of our uh, of our information. And then the festival, which was Pirate Farm Fest, is for 2019. We changed the name because we are changing location mm-hmm. to Picking Bones, which nice. sounded like a cool name. Yeah. It's picking music, banjos, and, <laughs> and guitars, and well, bones as always. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> <Of nothing. course. laughs> So yeah, so All Star Music Nights and Picking Bones. That's uh, right. where we're at. Well, thank you so much for joining me and for sharing uh, a little bit about your life and yourself to the audience. I really do appreciate it. And let me just say to everyone out there, go check out oldstylemusicnights.com. Um, he's also in social media, so you'll be able to find him there uh, if you uh, live in those corners of the internet. Uh, I mean, check out what he's promoting because it is some very interesting bands that you may not have been exposed to or even know of in any way. Um, and I think part of growth as an individual is exposure and opening yourself up for the opportunity Absolutely. of exposure. So um, do it do it all right well uh, thank you so much again thank you guys for tuning in live i definitely appreciate you guys um it's always interesting uh, to see how you all interact uh together with uh, the topic or the individual that uh we're speaking to so uh yeah it's this format that really makes uh it, it's your interaction i should say that makes this format special uh you can always subscribe to the youtube channel sign up to the email list to find out who i'm going to be speaking to next what we're going to be talking about and uh, of course, you're going to get links and uh, um, more information about the individuals and topics in those uh, places as well. So until we can speak of the devil again, hail Satan. Hail Satan. <laughs>